So did you did you get my um, my DM about your uh, UFC Undisputed Three? Uh, my character. Yes. I am excited to see how you think I would look IRL because we've never There's, met in person. Yeah. Well, so more than likely, what I'm going to have to do for that is make everyone a heavyweight. That's why I didn't ask for height weight like I did with the boxing one, because there's yeah. no open weight in the UFC games. It's, you know, fight night. It's like, fuck it. You can put a heavyweight against the smallest class in the game and have fun. But UFC didn't let you do that. The most recent UFC gives you 22 character slots. Okay. Undisputed that- 3, which is the the last one THQ made, at least gives you 40. Okay. I was going to say 23 sounds a little low. It is like what yeah. you think about it, right? Like I'd only be able to have like 16 people involved. Right. I mean, if I'm going to do a tournament, it's got to be 16, 32 or 64. So I'm doing 32. <laughs> so, yeah, just uh, a bit of a pain in the ass. But I don't know. I'll see like to start off with. I'm just randomizing appearances. And then if I have time to customize more, I will. And if not, then people just get to have fun seeing what their guy looks like like unfortunately for whatever reason at the start of it there's a lot of um like locked attire options and i don't know how to unlock them <laughs> i think i have to go with like career mode or some shit so i'm like uh you gotta grind have, it people <laughs> might just have generic attires which is what it is i mean it's it's all in good fun anyway but yeah like you uh the fight night the boxing was awesome because it's like oh i'll just put crash in fucking canadian themed attire and it was yeah. great <laughs> i think i asked for the rick flair robe that's the yeah. i think that yeah, was the only the instructions robes. i gave yeah yeah but it's oh, nice because they have ai settings to differentiate how someone fights when it's ai versus ai so you know if you set your guy up as a kickboxer he won't go for takedowns you can set his ai to just be like yeah he's a kickboxer so right focus on that because those are his strengths yeah, I like I said was saying like just make me as IRL as you think I would be as long as you don't go like when you uh, made Deke Slayer and I. That's fun because you made me like Mister Miyagi. Yeah, <laughs> that was fun. So this whole idea you're gonna do on your Twitch channel at Twitch twenty no Twitch twenty four. Could you imagine Twitch TV slash Tugi twenty four? You haven't yes. made enough money off Manscaped for that yet. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, welcome to the second Turnbuckle podcast, everybody. Uh, on the other side of the line, uh, we can't. I can't even say on this side or the left side or whatever. It's uh, it's Tugi Twenty Four. I'm Crash, by the way. <gasps> it is the less important. The less important of the two. Let's be honest. That is, that is not true, sir. Okay. I am riding your coattails. <laughs> But if I allow it, is that okay? Uh, that, that's what that's what friends do. I'm like the what? I'm the Tobey Maguire to <laughs> your Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> I had I had my moments, but so irrelevant at this point. I was trying to think of like a WWE or an AEW. I'm the Janetti. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! But I can't possibly be considered a Shawn Michaels of Twitch. So like, I'm the I'm the Janetti. No, I'm the Al Snow in the Rockers 2.0. But you are still somehow still the Janetti. <laughs> You're the Janetti of the Rockers 2.0. Oh 
Oh my god, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Or It's always a bad on? thing to be the Genetti. <laughs> right, but in the Rockers 2.0, I guess it's yeah, bad. Al to Snow went on to, to come up with the, the head story yeah. and you know, went to ECW for a bit. So, I mean, you know, I, I got some moderate success. I'm, yeah. I've got some ECW appearances and I'm a part of the yeah. job squad. Yeah, you're just Genetti. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I see a fountain. I want to get nude in. Uh, <laughs> Never met a window he hasn't wanted to jump through. <laughs> what a coward! <laughs> uh, on the podcast, uh, we are going to revisit uh, two very important shows over the past two weeks yeah. when it comes to AEW. Uh, I have also played Fight Forever. Uh, there's going to be a little segue between um, Collision in Calgary and Fight Forever, so uh, we'll get to that in a bit. And I think if we have time, we're going to talk a little L.A. Knight. Yeah. <laughs> it can't be an overly that. excited yeah based off of based off of what I've seen recently on the internets. So, you know. So, because... because my collision experience leads into fight forever. We are only going to go back one week at this point and talk about blood and guts in Boston. Toogie 24. What is it like to see so much blood loss in one? Like, uh, listen, listen, I've had two kids. I've seen blood loss. Jesus Christ. That's where we're bringing it already. Huh? Yeah. Well, it's been a while. We had we had to start off hot, um, but I mean, how 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 do you sit there? A, how do you focus on a match like that? And B, uh, how do you not eat afterwards? Or how do you how do you like <laughs> sleep without thinking of like the elevator scene in The Shining? So I I'm trying to think of some of the more like violent matches I may have seen in person that takes the cake easily. Mm -hmm. It was such a fun show to go to in general, with the exception of like randomly Britt Baker was on the show for a minute. That was weird. Uh, but, you know, like you get the the first in ring work of, of Jungle Boy as a heel of Jack Perry which I enjoyed. I know a lot of people are up in arms of, oh my god, he's using Beethoven, which I will say, you want to know why that's a good choice? Because my fiance, who is a music teacher, that got some real heat with her. How oh. dare he use Beethoven? <laughs> I thought she'd pop. I thought they'd be like, yeah, Beethoven! <laughs> it was the opposite, so that's how you know it's a really good how choice. The Obviously, music of America are yeah. mad. <laughs> Obviously, there was that tag match as well, which was pure comedy and old school, simple as can be wrestling, like the simplest work, but the maximum crowd reaction. Mm -hmm. It really did feel like, and I've mentioned before, like I was a huge fan of Chikara when it was active, and it really did feel like that because Chikara as a promotion it was the idea of like, look, for the most part, no one there is going to boo the bad guys. It was mm -hmm. the idea of you come here to this cartoonish style of wrestling that is just pure baby faces versus pure heels. And you just you get invested. It's like it, it's the idea of not too many people are going to Avengers movies and rooting against Tony Stark. 
That was the idea. And this was the same thing. It's the idea of everyone's in on the joke that we all know MJF and Adam Cole are going to break up eventually, which spoiler alert tonight's collision. We're recording uh, the night of July 29th, 2023. And they held off on that breakup, which I think is a phenomenal choice to extend that program. But it was the idea that everyone got invested. Everyone knows what this is going to be. But you know what? For for tonight, for the moment, we're all here to see a double clothesline. And that place flipped out when that one double the, clothesline was hit. It was awesome. One of the most basic wrestling moves. Got one of the greatest reactions we've seen in quite some time. Like, na- like collar and elbow tie up, hammer lock, clothesline. Like, it's all... <laughs> Like those are the basics, the fundamentals. Yes. yes. I, so to have that be the setup for Blood and Guts, which was insane. I've mentioned this. Like my biggest complaint about this event was TD Garden itself. It was right. awesome to be back in that building in a lot of ways. I hadn't been in a couple of years. They had renovated TD Garden recently. You know, hockey fans, basketball fans will know this. There used to be like the yellow seats, and they're all now just black seats. And the problem is when they changed the seats, they didn't just change the colors. They made the seats smaller to increase attendance. I was in lodge seating, so it's not like I was, you know, I was lower bowl is the equivalent. Terrible, man. Terrible. If you are over five foot ten, you're going to struggle for legroom. So for me at six two. I I always make the joke I'm I'm legitimately six two and a half, but I always round down because if you say six two and a half, you sound like a douche. <laughs> but at six two and a half, I had two seating choices: sitting straight up, which would cause my knees to be in the back of this plastic chair. Right. Which, by the way, they put their uh, cup holders on the back of the seats as well, so that's even less legroom. Or I could be. You know, like scrunched forward, elbows on knees, holding my head to relieve my the pressure on my knees, but then my back would be killing me after a bit. You're so also kissing, really, kissing the neck of the guy in front of you. <laughs> basically, yeah. Like it's just he was very polite though. He understood. Yeah. Um it's just it was a very uncomfortable place, really. And during the event too, especially the main event. Even at my height, if someone stood up in front of me, you couldn't see shit. So the main event in particular, a 52, 58 minute match, something like that. I stood for all of it mm-hmm. because otherwise you couldn't see like the vast majority of people in that building were on their feet for the entire match, which on one hand kind of sucked. On the other, though, it did improve the atmosphere of the match. Right. The biggest reactions were for the freaking board of screwdrivers, as we found out it was, that John Moxley broke out, which is probably the grossest thing I've seen in person in a wrestling match. And I'm like, okay, this is the the make or break moment for the fiance here of like, okay, do you really do you really enjoy this? And she was she was for it. I mean, I was cringing just as much as uh, some of the spots as she was. So I mean, it all you know lined up and made sense, but. Yeah, it was. It, it lived up to the title. It was very, very violent indeed. 
it wasn't, you know, I saw there were some complaints about people being like, oh, it was difficult to follow regardless. The nature of that match is it's always going to be difficult to follow in person, on TV. You're not going to see every little thing. That's just the way it works. But overall, it was it was a really, really fun experience to see one of those matches in person. But the thing with TV, you're you're taken along on the ride as well. Like the director knows for the most part, it's not like they've planned out every spot, but you go where the camera takes you. Like once you see John Moxley, you're not really concerned about Cesaro or Wheeler Yuta or whoever, right? Because you're paying attention to what's in front of you. So it really doesn't matter, you know, what else is going on. And they, at home, you have the benefit of replay. If something major happens and they missed it live, they'll just talk about what happened in the ring while somebody was fighting in the stands or whatever. So I, like, I can't imagine watching a match like that. Like one of my, one of my bucket lists is to go see a Royal rumble live. Mm. And I know I'm going to walk out of it, hating it just because I couldn't focus on everything going on. Like, right. That's just, I, so something like a blood and guts, I can completely understand. Like, how amazing it would be in person, but how terrible of an experience. And I'm not even talking about the violence or the blood or anything. Just you're looking right and something happens to the left and you see the aftermath of it because the crowd went nuts. Right. But yeah. On the same token, do you pass up going to blood and guts? No, 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 you don't. Uh, no, no regrets from that standpoint. Like it lived up to the nature of being a spectacle and then, you know, you, you got about 15, 20 minutes of downtime before they started Rampage. And they started that off with uh, a two ring battle royal, which was honestly pretty fun, too. It was a nice kind of cool down of like, OK, kick punch, kick punch. But here come the entrance um, right. at the same time. Wrestling fans still don't know how to count. That's just not a thing. Like the board will say it'll be. The board will go, uh, people will be five, four, three, two, one, and the board will still be on six. Like, people just do not know how to count. So that would be one of your biggest takeaways if you get to a Royal Rumble. Would be the people. Learn to count before I go. <laughs> yeah, people do not know how to count. Learn to count like a wrestling fan because they uh, they don't know what the hell's going on. So just because I've, got, I've had the experience now of Collision, which we'll get to, so they they record or they they film obviously live dynamite, and then they do. Um, it was rampage, rampage after that, yeah. Right after that yeah. is interesting to me because Collision did an hour before of ROH, mm-hmm. uh, the main show, an hour of uh, Battle of the Belts, and then another hour of ROH. It was a long night of wrestling that yeah. we stayed for practically all of it. So I, I kind of find it interesting that they don't split up Rampage the way that they do ROH. Yeah, we were, I, I, think there, it's, I think it's, there was one dark match. I think Kip Sabian Serpentico was a dark match before it started. But yeah, in terms of like, because we were wondering like, oh, were they going to film Rampage or at least some of Rampage before? And uh, the answer was no. Interesting. Uh, speaking of uh, collision and Calgary and my experience. Uh, wow. Uh, this was my first show. This is your third. Experience? Uh, 
AEW, this is my fifth, I Jesus. think. Yeah. But but <laughs> I all have in not the missed Boston a show area. that they've run. Yeah, every single show they've run in Massachusetts I've been to. Right. So this is the first time they've really toured Canada. First time in the Saddledome. And I think uh, just in a in a group chat that uh, you and I are in, I posted pictures and I was just like, I'm I'm in. I'm sold. Like the stage, the setup. And I don't know if it's because I haven't been to a TV taping because WWE has avoided Calgary for the most part. Mm. Um, ever since they actually tore down the, the historic corral where the Calgary flames played their first uh, NHL games and the Calgary Hitmen uh, played their first WHL games. Uh, that building is since torn down. That was their, their main go-to because it got to a point where they were not doing well ticket sales. In Calgary, so to be in the Saddledome to see an outstanding um, setup as far as the stage and the screens and all of that stuff, even before the first bell ring, before the announcers came out and everything, we were uh, in line. There was a huge lineup uh, outside of the Saddledome to get in when doors opened, and doors opened before an hour before the first match. I. I had never, I've never seen that as far as like, you know, you know that you're like, I've been to many Hitman games. There's maybe a lineup of 20 people. This lineup was going out the the lobby, down the iconic Saddledome stairs and spilling out into the Calgary Stampede. It was, uh, it was uh, bonkers to, to say the least, but uh, it was, uh, it was one of the finest uh, it, wrestling experiences I've had uh, since probably the first, I think I, I re-experienced that first time going to a live show, uh, which was kind of cool to, to experience that with my son. Um, just top to bottom. The, the only downside I would say is, is the merch table. Mm-hmm. Like, there was really, they weren't up to date with anything. Um, I think the main options, like I did get the the Owen Hart classic or the Owen Hart tournament shirt because I've never had a shirt with Owen Hart um, outside of right. one that I made, which uh, was just a picture of him with the two slammies uh, heat pressed <laughs> iron on or whatever. Um, yeah, the merch table left a lot to desire, but everything else was just so amazing. Um, as far as a, a fan aspect and I, I literally was, was taken back that the fact that Daniel Garcia comes out for the ROH first match and I lost it because this is a guy that I've never seen before. Zero chance of probably having seen him in Calgary. Uh, we got a unannounced powerhouse Hobbs, uh, match again, like these are guys Dalton Castle. I lost mm. it for Dalton Castle because I've seen him on clips, uh, you know, matches uh, the infamous All In original. Uh, like to see him live is is a spectacle. It's amazing. It is it is such uh, such amazing kind of that old feel uh, we kind of talked about, like how AEW kind of feels like old WCW. It's really mm. starting to feel like Saturday night main event, but good. <laughs> like it's, it's feeling like those, those nineties shows, at least that I grew up on. Cause Tugi wasn't even 
a thought yet. <laughs> but uh, I was just overly impressed. Uh, I would say, actually, another one kind of popped in my head is we already knew Blood and Guts was going to happen. Um, if I if we talked about the card when the cards of the two shows were released, um, how disappointed I was heading into Collision uh, based on all the other cards that kind of had been announced. Um, I I was like going in there thinking, oh, this is going to be terrible. Like we've got a best two out of three. We've got the Owen Hart tournaments with, you know, people that I'm not really all that excited to see. We've got uh, Battle of the Belts. I was floored. It was one of the most, like I said, one of the most amazing fan experiences. And the wrestling was outstanding for Collision. I don't know. One of the things watching back to, I don't know if you noticed this live, but the crowd was insane for everybody who came out. There was nobody except for CM Punk. CM Punk got a very, very mixed reaction. Everybody else got a pop. Everybody else got the respect of professional wrestling fans. I don't know. uh, You watched it live, I assume, because I was texting you pretty much through it. Did that come across to you at all? I thought it was very good. Yeah. I mean, you know, AEW in terms of crowds, it's a little bit weird, as I've discovered. Sometimes there are still things that they struggle with. Right. I mean, you, you could sit there and talk about from the booking perspective, like a big thing this week was was dynamite in the the Britt Baker tie of Valkyrie match that did not go over very well. And then a lot of people questioning they focused on a sign that said book the women better right after that. Isn't that int- like you could talk about that. But from like the technical standpoint, uh, there are occasions where it, it does kind of feel like they struggle with miking the crowd properly sometimes because there have been a lot of occasions where I've watched a show and it's like, I feel like the crowd's making more noise than what's coming across on TV. Mm -hmm. That was not the case with Calgary. Um, That happened once in Boston. And I was just like, that's really weird because I was there. So now I always, whenever I go to a show, I'm always just like, well, I hope, especially for this last one, I'm like, Please, God, tell me they, they got the miking right, because as you would expect for that show, people were nuts. But yeah, for Calgary, no, I, I thought that was one of the one of the stronger crowds throughout that Canadian tour, which is what you would hope for, given that it's it's Calgary. You know, I wish that there was less attempts at the sharpshooter. Now, don't get me wrong. like we we named our podcast after <laughs> Bret Hart, <laughs> so I you know I'm I'm a hypocrite in that sense. But it seemed like every second match had a sharpshooter attempt. Like we get it, we're Calgary, you know. Bret Hart's the sharpshooter or whatever. Love Dax going uh, from the second turnbuckle. Uh, also uh, did it. Uh, that's Bret Hart's original finisher. And the uh, the inspiration for the podcast name, but you know, there it comes. It kind of gets to the point, almost like um, with Forbidden Door, like just those uh, those one on one in the center of the ring who can chop the other one harder. Mm-hmm. Every match had it. It kind of lost its luster uh, by the end of the the pay per view. It, it was like, oh, we're doing this again. Like, Pick one guy who's going to do it. And if it was one guy or two top guys, the finish to um, to the uh, the best two out of three against Bullet Club Gold uh, was perfect. I thought uh, the double uh, the double sharpshooter uh, utilizing those were the guys on the entire show. Um, 
Daniel Garcia had no business using it. Um, it just, it gets kind of cliche, especially in Calgary. Uh, also, we're in the middle of Stampede. You don't need to wear cowboy hats. Like, no, like, I can't imagine Toogie in Maine really cares that it's the Calgary Stampede and you're wearing a cowboy hat. Like, who cares? I- I, I get that, but at the same time, like I feel like that's always been a wrestling thing. Is like, hey, here we are in this city. We're going to appeal to this city because this is what's going on. So yeah, that's fair. Um, what did you think about uh, the card and what you saw on TV as far as uh, Collision went? Because, like I said, I I I'm still picking my jaw up off the ground from everything. Oh, you got an awesome show. Except like. And you kind of pointed it out too a little bit, but you you tried to spin it positive. Was the women's division needs work, and yeah. it's I don't think it's even a booking thing. Um, also, I think that they went with the wrong person in the Owen Hart tournament. I think that should have been Ruby Soho's to win. I don't know what it is about Willow. I'm I'm just not sold on her. No, and being being kind of the focus of the women's division right now is I don't know if that is. Like she came out in collision uh, on today's show after Stadlander got hit with the belt. Like that's one of your champions and you bring somebody else out to make the save. And it's like the, the champion should always be booked to look either very strong or in peril that nobody wants to help. If that makes sense. I do think they're in a position where they are damned if they do, damned if they don't. I think within the women's division, there are two issues. One is the talents that they choose to feature. Um, And a good example of this would be a lot of the women that come over from Japan. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, and, and that was a big issue especially during the, the pandemic, was the idea of, hey, we're going to build a lot of this division around the, the Joshi wrestlers, the Japanese women. And then obviously travel got restricted um, for most of them. Like Takar Shida was still there. She's a great example even now, though. It's like she'll be on TV and then she'll disappear for a little bit. I think you combine a factor like that with just being in a really tough spot in terms of getting some of these women over Mm-hmm. And then you have the people that are over. Are they still delivering and still improving? Which is a big conversation people have had about Britt Baker in the past couple of days following that dynamite match. You combine all of that with with the issue that's going on with the men's side of things, where if you throw the women out there and there's growing pains and, you know, the segments aren't 10 out of 10 or even 8 out of 10. And it's like, oh, the crowd doesn't really know this person, so they don't really care. You're going to get the responses of you have this male wrestler on the roster, this male, and this is what you're using yeah. TV time for. But then if you do feature that male wrestler, that male wrestler, it's, oh, you only have time for one Where's women's match per show. Yeah. What's wrong with you? They're in a really tough spot that I... I honestly don't know how they get out of it or navigate it at the moment. Like, just flat out honest. Like, you look at the the roster up and down, men's and women's, and I still think 
they are, in a sense, suffering from the WWE's shittiness. Brian Danielson should not be an AEW contracted wrestler. Samoa Joe, Malachi Black, all of these people. We've talked about this so many times, but it's still true. All of these people, Adam Cole, Roderick Strong, should not be on this roster. Yeah. FTR. FTR. And I still think they are trying to navigate that because, let's be honest, the contracts they signed with those people haven't come due yet, and they've made it a clear case of not wanting to release somebody unless their contract is up or they really, really ask for it because they don't want to get that stink that WWE has on them of they're ruthless and they'll cut you whenever the fuck they're done with you, which is what pissed off a lot of people, myself included. I mean, that was one of the final straws for me is someone to really support the WWE full time is just that idea of, oh, here's COVID. Oh, we're going to cut dozens of people. Right. During the pandemic, there's no, there's really no major independent wrestling shows going on right now. And if there are, they're not in front of crowds. Yeah, we're going to release you because we can, because we have to prioritize our bottom line. Whereas AEW has, again, stuck with people on the roster, even if they're not being focused, you know, they're still being paid type of thing. So I still think, you know, the term roster bloat comes to mind. But I don't think it's like this inherent negative in that they shouldn't have done it. But all of these people, you know, they're trying to work out who is going to be the featured options because they ended up with this group of talent they never should have had. Again, it's not even just the men's side. It's the women's side. Tony Storm, Ruby Soho should not be. On that roster, they just shouldn't. Like the fact WWE let them go is insane. Uh, Athena as well. Like a lot of people right now are like, okay, Athena, the um, the former Ember Moon in WWE, primarily being focused on Ring of Honor right now. And it's that idea of like, oh, how aren't you booking her there? But at the same time, it's like, again, you start booking Athena, and then well, this person goes away for a little bit, and then the people are bitching about that person going away. Right, And then there's the factor of injuries and people with personal stuff going on. So they'll disappear and people will be like, well, what the hell happened to this person? It's all a, it's a very multi-layer issue as to how it's gotten to this point. But like I said, I don't really know what the answer is in terms of how to fix it, because like I said, I think even if you do end up saying, okay, we'll do two women's matches a week uh, per show. The same people who are complaining about the lack of multiple women's matches a week will then just switch over to, oh, well, you have this person on the roster for the men's side, and instead you chose to give us uh, Kiara Hogan, who was in a match tonight. Very talented wrestler like that. Like collision tonight, Mercedes Martinez and Kiara Hogan. I do wonder how many people that are like, oh, we need at least two women's matches per show are then also the same ones to complain. No, not those women. <laughs> you know, you, you spotlighted <laughs> the wrong ones. Not oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but so my complaint, I've got zero argument to what you have just stated. This is not in rebuttal. 
to what you just said. My complaint is more along the lines of you do not have a woman wrestler on the AEW roster right now that could carry a segment. Unless, and I'm not trying to be chauvinistic. I've no, I'm, been looking, I'm looking through the roster. I, I know what you mean in terms of... Um, let, me, let me flip it, because WWE, as much as we don't like them, Becky Lynch can hold a segment, let alone a show, let alone a pay-per-view. Uh, yeah. Charlotte Flair can hold a segment, a show, a pay-per-view. Bianca Belair is there now. If a Bianca Belair jumped ship for whatever reason, she would be an absolute star in AEW and would improve that women's division. She would, like, if you put a, a quantitative number, it would double with a Bianca Belair, with a Sasha Banks, with a, like, man, put Natalia in that division and she would eat. She would absolutely be the star in that division. That is where WWE is doing so much better than AEW, and it's not even close. I don't think you can put anybody on the female roster uh, successfully in a main event right now in AEW unless they bust themselves open. You, there's nobody. There's, I mean, the, the show that we went to two weeks ago, the quietest the crowds got were during the women's matches. Mm-hmm. And granted, why would you put the Owen Hart tournament championship, women's championship, after that two out of three falls match? That yeah. is, I get that you're trying to, I don't know if you're trying to impress Calgary or whatever, but at the end of the day, you don't go from that to the women's division championship. I get why you do, but you don't. And that's where maybe I question the booking, but there's nobody on that roster that I would have put in that place to keep that crowd as hot as it was um, for three matches prior or three falls prior. I just, I don't see it. And that's where I struggle to be like, give the women more time, give the women more TV time. There's, there's no, there's nobody of interest there. Even when Soraya came over, it was like, hey, yeah. Oh, okay. Ruby Riot comes over. Hey, yeah. Oh, okay. Tony Storm. Hey. Like, there's, there's, I don't know if it's a talent thing. I just don't think any of them, they, they, it, it just feels like they just need more experience. Or AEW was built so much around the men that the women lacked for so long that it's just not there anymore. I mean, Britt Baker would, would we still care about Britt Baker if it wasn't, if she wasn't Adam Cole's wife, girlfriend, I don't think they're married just yet. Like I said, I don't, that's where the coolness factor with her is. That's why she is the, the head of the table as far as the women in AEW, as far as I'm concerned. And again, I am not, this isn't the chauvinistic, side of it. I want to see better women's wrestling. I love the main event at WrestleMania where it was uh, Ronda Rousey, uh, Charlotte Flair, and Becky Lynch. I loved Sasha Bank and Charlotte Flair. I love those matches. They were very entertaining. 
I have not been entertained by a women's match in AEW in quite some time. You know, for for me in regards to that, I think it comes down to one letting the women just go out there and have kick ass matches. Um, as much as you mentioned, kind of Willow Nightingale doesn't really, um, you know, her current presentation doesn't really intrigue you all that much. Um, she and Athena had a match. Uh, they main evented ROH's last pay per view, and it was a really fucking good match. In terms of the idea of how to get someone to the point where they're able to carry segments, that I'm not sure of. You know, and I, I think that's also one of the unfortunate aspects of when they happen to become a company is if this was their presentation of the women and this was 2012 and WWE was still doing Divas. three minute Eve Torres versus Maurice matches on pay-per-view. Yes. No yes. disrespect to those two women. I thought they in ring, they, you know, <laughs> did what the best they could given the time, but Obviously, in the subsequent years, WWE really stepped up their game in terms of the women's division. So AEW has that direct comparison. Right. And at the same time, that that makes the argument for it's like, man, you, you got to find a way to do better and to step up. Because I do, you know, I do think at, at the same time, I think they were gaining momentum with the women's division. And then Jamie Hayter got hurt. Yeah. I think Jamie Hayter was the one who could deliver in ring and who was stepping up as a presence. And then she got hurt. And apparently the word is now she probably won't be cleared for all out or all in. Yes. Yep. In, in London, which is a fucking travesty and that she might not even be healthy for the rest of this year. So I think that too kind of puts it into a, a bit of a weird spot where I do wonder what the women's division would be because the term holding pattern has been thrown out there a lot. And I agree with it in that we have seen numerous times. Tony Khan's booking style is to stick to the plan pretty much no matter what. And I think for the women's division, he had a plan. I think that shows very well with Chris Statlander being TBS champion, being the one to defeat Jade Cargill where they kept it going for longer than I think anyone thought they should have or would have with Cargill being champion because they were waiting for Statlander to be healthy. And I think now the women's title that Tony Storm has is kind of in that holding pattern. She's going to defend it Wednesday on Dynamite, but it's in that holding pattern of, oh shit, we're hoping Jamie Hayter is going to be healthy for the show. And I think if those reports are true that came out that she's not going to be good to go and might not be good to go for the rest of this year, they have no choice. Like right. you cannot keep that women's division in a holding pattern for the next five plus months with the, you know, with the frustration level that's already there. So I think the issue ultimately comes down to, they have had, moments like really positive moments with this women's division they just haven't been able to find that consistency and whether or not that's you know again a large part of it is just they're not doing good enough um but i think you know just the unwillingness to adapt certain injuries popping in um i am intrigued to see what they do because i don't think it's all trash in terms of the women's division like there are bright spots in terms of matches in terms 
of characters. You know, I like for example, I don't hate the whole Outcasts storyline or group with right. Soraya, Tony Storm, and Ruby Soho. I actually really enjoy it. I like. I get that some people are just like, ah, oh, blah, blah, blah. I find it funny that people are complaining about that, where heels are cheating to win, but they will praise Roman Reigns, who is a che- uh, who is a heel who has been cheating to win for four years, right. four years, whatever it is now. Yep. Yeah, but he doesn't. Um, oh, but it's the way people. they do it with what having the Usos or fucking Solo yeah. Sokoa interfere every time. How is that any fucking different? Um, but I do think there are, like I said, bright spots to this division um, in terms of like, you know, I can look up and down this roster here and it's it's one of those things where it's like, OK, in terms of their presentation, like I, like I said, I think over the next few years, like there's going to be that bloodletting of the roster where it's just okay. Like for the women's division, no disrespect intended at all, but like Marina Shafir had a TBS title match on the rampage against Chris Statlander. I wasn't staying in that building until midnight to watch that match. One, because you know who's going to win and no disrespect to Marina Shafir. But at the same time, she, she's she, not there. She's not. She's not even like she is a fine wrestler. But in terms of like star power, it's not necessarily there. Right. At the same time, they're starting to put more of an emphasis on someone younger, more of a homegrown kind of talent in the form of someone like Sky Blue, which I think is a a better way to go. They're putting more emphasis on Julia Hart as well as of late, especially right. on collision. You know, like I said, I just can't help but think like it's going to be one of those things where, you know, you, you have to kind of pick your people again. And I think there's that issue. Well, we had our people, but then all of a sudden we had access to these people, but we want to stay loyal to our people. But goddamn, it's tough to build up around our people when someone like Athena shows up, who is one of the best women's wrestlers in the world. And yes, she has the label of former WWE talent. But man, you know, who cares? Because she she is just that fucking good to steal a Triple H catchphrase from 20 years ago. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what the answer is. I think, you know, you can kind of see a way forward with it, but as lazy as it might be, so many of the, the critiques I see about AEW, I still just can't help but think where they, you know, where it would be had that influx of talent not been available versus at the same time where it's going to be a year, two, three from now, once some of these contracts start coming due. I, I will leave my point at this is that it's also unfair to compare uh, the horsewomen to whatever AEW has available right now. That is a generation. That is a McDavid. That is a Gretzky. That is, uh, that is a Tiger Woods. That is like that group of women wrestlers. Uh, doesn't come. One of them doesn't come around very often. And there were four. There were f- actually maybe even five. Because you throw Bailey in there too, you throw. It was four, right? The four horse women: Bailey, Sasha, Charlotte, Becky. 
Yeah. So uh, all four of them can carry a show. So the only thing that I can think of that really shot AEW in the foot was they weren't ready to go 10 years earlier. If not sooner, like if not, you know, because that was kind of the MO before NXT. WWE wasn't really taking chances on anybody. If AEW was around and NXT wasn't, the I, I could see all four of those. Maybe not Charlotte, because I, I think that there was a little bit of respect for Flair and WWE that she may have gone. The other three would have been AEW pre NXT. But that's that's I mean I'm I'm just throwing an idea out. I've got no proof or or anything like that. But it seems like AEW is willing to take more of a chance. There's just not anybody out there right now that can that can hold their jill straps. I do think too. It, it's one of those things where, you know, like those those four are untouchable in a sense, where it's like they were the ones where fans were just like, okay, no more bullshit here. You are going to push those women because they are amazing, and now that's kind of the attitude. Yeah. Is you know from a lot of fans is like, man, a like a, a an average division isn't enough anymore in the eyes right. of most people like you need to be raising the bar essentially at, at all times on some front whether it's in ring or from a character work perspective you know you need to be consistently raising the bar and that division isn't right now and i think that's where a good amount of the criticism stems from and to your point too about injuries and everything we would have seen mercedes monet in AEW at this point. There's a good chance, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's move on. I will make my review of uh, Fight Forever because after Collision, I think I sent you the message, there is zero point spending any more money on WWE <laughs> after watching an AEW show. Um, the next day I bought Fight Forever. And uh, a rare circumstance... I will flat out use the term you were right, Toogie. Hey. With your review of Fight Forever. It is not polished. It didn't need to be. It is silly. It is fun. It is nostalgic uh, with uh, new a new spin on an old classic. Uh, if you have not purchased it yet, the only reason I would tell you to wait is we're probably pretty close ish to maybe a 10% off sale because it has been out for a couple months. Uh, outside of that, there is zero reason a true wrestling fan or any fan of, uh, of no mercy should, uh, shouldn't have this in their collection at this point. I have not played it daily. I haven't played it recently, but I'm glad that I bought it. I'm glad that I played it and I could pick it up at any time and continue on with, uh, with whatever mode, one of uh, one of our uh, uh, mainstays, definitely one of your uh, Twitch stream, AJ, has unlocked Owen Hart, I have which to- you have to play a hundred matches, uh, exhibition matches, I think it is, yeah. to unlock him. Like that's dedication, and and it's a fun game to attempt to do that. Uh, so I, uh, yeah, I I was an idiot for not doing it, uh, not purchasing it earlier. I will flat out say that. I mean, I think you were right to be skeptical, but like I said, for me, it was, I know what it's going to be, and it is. Like, it serves the purpose 
that No Mercy served for years and years and years and years. I can load it up. Doesn't matter what difficulty I play it on. Half the time, I'll load it up. It'll be on the lowest difficulty. I will kick the shit out of someone, hit a couple of finishers, and win the match, and I'm content. Yeah. Yep. Like, it's just fun to load into the game and just be like, I'm going to fucking hit the 630 splash with Sammy Guevara through a table, a flaming fucking table if I can. Like, it's just the loaded up, experiment around type of game. I don't need to play it for six hours every day. I'll play it for 45 minutes, 30, 45 minutes at a time, and then I'm good. And I'll switch to a different game. Maybe I come back to it later on in the day. Maybe I don't come back to it for a couple of days, but it serves that purpose of it's just really fun to play. And fun fact, I um, got to play it with a, a couple of buddies of mine. Uh, when I went to Dynamite, uh, two of my groomsmen went with me, um, <laughs> found out my my other, my best man would have gone with me, um, but I didn't ask because he hasn't been a wrestling fan for a really long time. Like, um, you know, it's funny because that um, you were so close that he's going to be your groomsman, but you didn't know that he was a wrestling fan. No. So you? here's the thing, right? So here's okay. the thing. I was eight years old when I moved towns okay. um, and two of these friends, the, the third one uh, didn't start coming to the school system that we were in until we were in middle school. But two of them uh, were two of the three first friends that I made in my new school. And it was because of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of them, he's still been a wrestling fan pretty much the entire time. Like I have the other one is still he'll still watch. Like, I think he'll watch stuff on Peacock, like the older stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was around the time that we were in middle school, high school, that the UFC was getting really, really big. And we were yeah, both yeah. UFC fans, too. And eventually, like the last time I can really remember him, like watching wrestling was WrestleMania 25. Um, I had ordered, you know, my parents, had ordered, I had my parents had ordered the pay-per-view for me. And um, it was one of the rare occasions where a friend got to stay the night on a school night. And we watched <laughs> the most boring fucking main event of all time with Triple H and Randy Orton's blood feud featuring headlocks. Um, <laughs> but after that, it, I think that was kind of his swan song of like, yeah, I'd still enjoy like watching Stone Cold beat the shit out of Booker T in a supermarket. But he hasn't been a huge like modern wrestling fan since then. But it was one of those things where I'm like, for future reference, if I had asked you to go, he's like, yeah, probably. And I'm like, mother, I should have just it would have been nice. But um, okay, so it's not it's not that he's come around and been a fan again. He He, would have gone to hang out with you at a wrestling thing and kind of had that nostalgia. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So I I kicked myself over that. But the ones that were there, we did um, end up playing AEW Fight Forever. I brought my Xbox and we just hooked it up in the hotel room and played fight forever for a little bit before heading to the show. So that was, that was interesting to be able to play uh couch co-op on fight forever. It feels just like no mercy, just like it should. It was, it was good. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're big fans. Needless to say, uh, really quickly. Cause I, I love the history part and just where we're at, uh, LA night, you wanted to bring up the booking, the current booking of LA night. And I, I use the term current, because there are rumors that it will get better. Mm. But. <laughs> oh, by the way, Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt, SummerSlam. Bray Wyatt, the rumor. One of the, one of the big matches at SummerSlam. Bray Wyatt gets another chance. <laughs> I, I like the person, but that, like, 
there was nothing they could do with that character to make me interested anymore. There just isn't. Just I just it just popped in my head. Imagine Bray Wyatt with one of these characters in AEW. I would really like. I gotta be honest. Like that idea of take the bloat, I, take the roster bloat out of it, because I I know yeah. that that would be a big thing too. <laughs> it would be. Yeah. Here's ROH champion Bray Wyatt. <laughs> Honestly, to me, there'd be something fascinating about Bray Wyatt going to AEW Ring of Honor and not being the spooky. Yeah. And then doing a feud with House of Black where they tempt him to be spooky. You know, like almost Bray like, Wyatt almost, needs his American badass, period. Right. Almost like that's the, what he desperately needs. The Firefly Funhouse match with with John Cena, but yeah. reversed. Yeah. <laughs> This is this is how much we care about LA Knight's current <laughs> creative. Yeah. We now moved on to Bray Wyatt. So, like WWE wise again, it's not for me. I do keep an eye on what the hell's happening, but you know, for the most part, again, it, it's very much not for me. You know, you could yeah. talk about how um, you know, the bloodline storyline's still going, all well and good. Um how the Judgment Day stuff is still going and how the, you know, the reactions they're getting, it's all well and good. But at the end of the day, too, I feel like you're going to focus on negatives when they're glaring. I don't know how anybody can view the LA Knight thing as anything but just this glaring issue. He was in the Mountain Dew pitch black match with Bray Wyatt. Earlier this year, that was at the Royal Rumble. Right. And if uh, to be fair, as much as as it was cool, because we made we always made fun of it that, you know, has Bray Wild wrestled yet? And he hadn't. L.A. Knight had a huge part in keeping that thing from going rank. Because the Bray Wild comeback. What's that? I think it went rank, man. You you remember the end of that match? Like. By the end of the match, but the buildup and everything, I think the return of Bray Wyatt and everything that they were doing to try and get the match to have some sort of relevancy and some sort of excitement outside of it's the return of Bray Wyatt. And maybe it's recency biased. Maybe it's uh, I'm more an L.A. Knight fan than I have been. Uh, I'm I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm buying the shirt. I'm not buying his shirt. But having said that, I think a lot of it had to do with L.A. Knight, and it was almost like we didn't know what we wanted out of L.A. Knight at that time, but we're still getting that same character, and it's going over, and the ball is being dropped by WWE by saying, just wait. And and you love doing this to me. You love saying the waiting game. Just wait for it. We even did it tonight when I said there's going to be a turn in the MJF <laughs> Adam Cole uh, saga. And I'm like, all oh, the turns coming tonight. And I believe you. What what did you send me? What was the actual term? Something about the waiting game or. Uh, this is uh, good waiting. <laughs> yeah, like, th- it is the good waiting, though, right? Because it's the idea of, you know, for MJF and Adam Cole, you are almost against what it is leading towards. Right. And technically, the longer you wait for it, 
the better it is because it's something that you don't want because you, you know, in theory, if you enjoy the storyline, you enjoy the friendship between these two and you feel like it's inevitable that it ends. LA Knight has been on two WWE pay-per-views this year. Royal Rumble and Money in the Bank. Lost on both of them. I can't even remember who he wrestled in Money in the Bank. He was in the Money in the Bank ladder match. Oh, that's right, too. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's been on two pay-per-views this year, lost them both. And immediately after losing at Money in the Bank, people are like, oh, it's cool. They'll make up for it. He'll probably win the U.S. title at SummerSlam. Which we've, we've talked about that. It's a good silver medal, I suppose. Now, not only is he not getting a U.S. title match at SummerSlam, he's in a fucking battle royal. Royale. Royale. Yes. The Royale Rumble. With cheese. With cheese. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but I... like Because this goes one of two ways. Either he wins a battle royal, a match designed to get people on the show, and you get to look at people going, See? We told you to wait. He won a battle royal. Or he fucking loses this match, and then you still get the fucking morons going, Oh, but just wait. I know yeah. he didn't win Money in the Bank, he didn't win the U.S. title yet, and he lost in a battle royal, but just wait. Like, regardless, I just can't imagine somebody getting reactions like this and them not running with it. Right. And I'm sorry, I get people be like, yeah, well, when Cody Rhodes lost at WrestleMania, everybody said he uh, the fans might lose faith in him, he wouldn't be over, and look at him now, he's still getting gigantic reactions. And he is. Yes. He could also be getting gigantic reactions as their world champion. True. True. But don't Do you- worry. We'll get that next spring and next summer when he's already exhausted a pay-per-view worthy title feud against Brock Lesnar. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes again three more times next year. That'll be fun. Again, it's just I'm, not for me. But I'm going to take your your basically your theme there but i'm gonna i'm gonna twist it a little bit and i think that what they're doing with la Knight could backfire only because it sounds like it's gonna go from three to ten where i'd rather see a three a four a five a six get more invested he he's like one of the the hottest things in wrestling right now which we've seen in the past and we've seen blow up by waiting too long and then getting that huge payoff and it just doesn't feel right. I would love to see a uh, uh, a match with uh, Damien, Damien Priest, or a feud because one won the money in the bank and the, one, the other one didn't. I don't think it hurts Damien Priest by losing a match that's not for the money in the bank against LA Knight. I think it could actually help both uh, almost a la Seth Rollins at WrestleMania where he lost to Randy Orton and then went and cashed in later on that night. Not going to put that on the same pedestal as, as the other, but we're just not seeing that build while he's the hottest thing. And I think 
after SummerSlam, if the rumors are true, we're going to see a bigger pushed LA Knight where I would love to see that growth. I don't want to see him in the world. Like we've talked about this before. He's not a world heavyweight contender at this point. The smartest move is that U.S. title, but why the hell have they not pulled the trigger on that? Because Austin Theory is having a nap somewhere, cuddling. That, like I, I, I haven't been watching the shows. I read the dirt sheets. I don't know what Austin Theory is doing right now with that title, and they're not doing anything with him, which is a little bit of a shame and a travesty as well, as far as the title is concerned and the wrestler himself. So. I just, I want that build. I want to be on that ride with him, regardless what the payoff is. But you're right. Like, there really hasn't been that build other than the promos. But my my negativity towards Bray Wyatt heading into the Mountain Dew uh, match at, at WrestleMania, not WrestleMania, sorry, uh, Royal Rumble, was the fact that it was all promos. We need to see this guy wrestle and win and continuously grow in the ring and get that winning streak and figure out what the payoff is as far as I'm concerned. So overall, like I said, I just don't, I I just don't get it. Like I said too, it's like the idea of like, Oh, well, he can, he can win at whatever the hell their next pay-per-view. Would you not want him to win the U S title and get a gigantic fucking reaction in front of what? 50, 60,000 people, if not more in Detroit at Ford field. I know that the next raw, <laughs> like it's that hot right now. Like why wait? Austin theory is dying a death as U S champion. I had, I looked up his most recent matches. He has had five matches on TV since the start of June. Like, <laughs> a part of a tag match with Pretty Deadly. Beat Jey Uso, apparently. Ridge Holland in two minutes. Beat Sheamus. And he's he's had two, much, two matches this month. The, the first SmackDown of the month against Sheamus, and then not this show, but I guess last week, he lost to Santos Escobar. So I guess maybe <laughs> imagine they give the U.S. title to Santos Escobar instead. Where the fuck do you go with LA Knight? Right, it's so fucking stupid. Not the Santos Escobar isn't great. He is, but he ain't getting that reaction. Tugi, you have totally brought me down. The only thing that can bring me back up is on this day or week or month or even this year, uh, and the nostalgia that came with us growing up as wrestling fans. Sir, um, I gotta I gotta burst the bubble Uh-oh. for July 29th. It hasn't been a great day in wrestling history. There's shockingly little to go off of. Um, for what there is, uh, 2002, there was a Monday Night Raw. Uh, the main event featured uh, he who shall not be named number one, mm-hmm. defeating Rob Van Dam to become IC champion. And the main event in their first and only singles match ever, The Rock defeated Ric Flair. They only had one singles match. Like Obviously, they were involved in other matches together. WrestleMania 20, you had Evolution, Sans, Triple H taking on Rock and Sock. Yeah. But yeah, they didn't really ever have that, you know, too many interactions. And it's not really surprising as to why. I mean... 
Again, 2002, after SummerSlam, Rock's out of there. You know, he loses to Brock and then comes back the following February as Hollywood Rock to set up the Stone Cold match at WrestleMania. But even prior to that, he had already started kind of drifting into the, you know, the movie scene by the time Flair. Flair didn't come in until November of 01, the night after the invasion. And then he immediately started a program with with Vince. So really, the only way you ever would have gotten much more interaction with these two is if the legendary rumor of him jumping ship to WWE in 1998, if that would have happened, that's the only chance you would have had for, you can't say a prime Ric Flair, no, but certainly a prime rock against a Ric Flair who could very much still go. Right. I There's just something about uh, the fact that those that's one of the dream matches. Let's be honest. Ric Flair versus The Rock, both in their primes. That's why we play the wrestling video games and everything like that. Um, if only, if only we got, even when it was prime or just after prime Flair and just before prime Rock, sign me up. But the, the feud that we got was the names more than what we should have gotten out of those two, but still, still regardless, still cool to see the two legends stand off against each other. And I hate to say it, but that is the most notable thing aside from the, the two birthdays on this date. Captain Lou Albano legend born on this day. Super Mario. <laughs> Super Mario, Super Show. Oh my gosh! If if you didn't make the connection, by the way, by watching the the cart or the movie uh, that came out earlier this year, go watch the intro to the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, and then watch the the first introduction of uh, Mario and Luigi in the movie. It is absolutely so amazing. I I literally lost it. My kids like were looking at me like I was some like idiot. <laughs> while we watched this movie it was so good the other birthday born on this day in 1962 scott steiner the the one we can actually talk about now yeah we <laughs> can talk about this the, one <laughs> the one that's not the, the black spot on the on the steiner name anymore jesus Christ. yeah but i mean Man, we don't have to say anything about Scott Steiner, do we? I mean, that man's legacy <laughs> speaks for itself. I mean, well, we, we we could start off with 25% of his uh, WWF run uh, with his brother. And then uh, when you add in his WCW, uh, you get uh, thirty three another 33%. And, uh, you know, the Steiner math. I, I tried. Funny you so enough. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was intrigued. I wanted to go on cage match and look at what has been rated the, the highest, best Steiner match. the best Steiner <laughs> match. Oh my gosh. It has to, it's got to be one of the tag team matches. Are you talking solo or just one that he was involved in? I'll give you a chance on solo in a second, but mo- the that va- Okay. So first and foremost, the top one is the 2004 Royal rumble. That is the highest rated match, according to Cage Match, that he was involved in. 
how long was he in the match? Does it say? Uh, I could look that up really quickly. Give me. Could you imagine he was only in the match for like 15 minutes? And that is his highest rated match? Like, he wasn't a featured player in that match. Uh, Let's see. Scott Steiner. There was a SmackDown Rumble, Men's Rumble. Scott Steiner was in the match for six minutes and 49 seconds. (laughs) The best match he's ever been in. (laughs) And being the fifth man eliminated. Let's go. I love it. I love it. Um, he was a part of, in fairness, what was a phenomenal Survivor Series match in 2003. Uh, that was the Team Austin versus Team Bischoff match that was really, really freaking good. Mm-hmm. Um, 94, Steiner Brothers against Brett and Owen is third on that list. Oh, I would take 94 Steiner Brothers before they both became idiots against Brett and Owen. Absolutely. Sign me up. His highest rated singles match, according to Cage Match. (laughs) Keep in mind, we were talking matches that were in like the eights and in the the high sevens at a (laughs) 6.67 against Chris Jericho on an episode of Nitro. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, So uh, Cage Match, not a big fan of Scott Steiner's singles work. (laughs) Which means they put Scott Steiner over Chris Jericho. Once you say Nitro, Chris Jericho did not win a whole lot of matches. Like when it came to the big players in the right. in the cruiserweight division, dominated ish, had his absolute moments, but put him in, up against Scott Steiner on Nitro. That's that's an L. You take the L on that one. That is the uh, Chris Statlander versus Marina Shafir of 1999. You know who's winning that one before it even starts. <laughs> I like it. Uh, before we bring it to a close, Toogie, uh, yeah. I am going to give you, while I look up the Bobby Heenan quote of... The- <laughs> I think we need the Scott Steiner quote of the day. <laughs> Do we need that? Does it need to go to Steiner's now? Because like the Bobby Heenan's, there's lots. I think I think in honor of the man's 61st birthday, we go with the the Steiner quote. Okay, bring it out. Uh, So I will give you uh, the ability, the time to wish one Terry number two uh, a happy engagement at the age of the nice 69 to girlfriend Sky Daly, his third uh, his third engagement. (laughs) His third opportunity to get married, uh, Tugi Twenty Four. What uh, what uh, words of advice? What uh, do you have any uh, happiness that comes with hearing this news? You know, um, when I when I saw this news that one uh, Terry Terrence Jean Balea mm-hmm. at the age of sixty nine was getting inva- uh, engaged to a I think a forty five year old. I don't know if she's a yoga instructor. Or what she is. But all I could think was I don't even need to see a picture of this woman to know what she looks like. Yep, 44. Um, I mean, for 44, not too bad. Don't get me wrong, I'm 43. Uh, Probably a little different than what... I mean, the picture that I'm looking at is a little bit different than I think I get what you're going for, I think, with this. Um, 
I'll just show you what I'm looking at here. So close, and probably she's not a- um, she's a bit brookish. <laughs> you, you don't see Hulk Hogan getting married to a redhead or a brunette. It's no. just not going to happen. No, I I didn't even think of that at all, and now I regret sending you that picture. <laughs> uh, Hogan cr- credited friends for introducing him and Daly as they met at a party when she approached him to express her gratitude following the superstar's purchase of a round of drinks for everyone at the party. They struck up a <laughs> conversation. I thought it was going to be as a fan. Hulk still rules. Yeah. Could, <laughs> yay, thank you for everything you did for wrestling. No, thanks for the Zambuka. <laughs> Hogan previously admitted to being anxious before popping the question at a Tampa restaurant. At his age and his condition, I don't know you want to get into too many situations where you're getting anxious there, brother. Did he take a knee? Can he physically take oh the knee? Oh, my God. Um, or do you think he, like, cupped the ring in his ear and then, like, handed it off to her? <laughs> Pulled it or, out from his trunk. When, when he handed off the ring, he did the big bicep pose and then just dropped the ring on the table. Or slowly uh, descended his hand. You know? Oh, you man. got a Scott Snyder quote? This show's gone off the rails. <laughs> You know what? I think I just found the best one given the last uh, the last thing we talked about. Uh, so the Scott Steiner quote coming up in just a sec. But uh, Tugi24, where can people find you? Everywhere at Tugi24, Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, X, Twitter, whatever the fuck you want to call it now. I don't want to call it anything. Yeah. Fuck, fuck Elon. Underscore, crash underscore Andrews on X, going to give it to you. Uh, I don't want to be found anywhere anywhere else right now, because once you hear the quote that I found from Scott Steiner, you'll understand why. Thank you for tuning in from the mouth of Scott Steiner. That guy, Hogan, he's a racist. (laughs) Good night, everybody.